Scheffler is a traditional Tier 1 supplier that's plunging into the world of electrification, autonomy, and mobility. On this week's show, Jeff Hemphill, the company's chief technology officer, talks about how they're making the transition. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today, the discussion is going to be about a supplier company, Schaeffler to be exact. It's a company that's been very much involved in traditional automaking, but as you know, the auto industry is evolving. So how do you do a transition as a traditional supplier? We're going to get to the bottom of that today because our special guest is Jeff Hemphill. He is the Chief Technology Officer of Schaeffler, and it's great to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. Also joining us for the journalist panel are Eric Lawrence from the Detroit Free Press and Paul Eisenstein from the DetroitBureau.com. Great to have the both of you guys great here. Great to be too. here. Thanks. You know, Jeff, uh, it was interesting. I saw you give a presentation on the evolution of mobility and transportation and the human race that started 12,000 years ago. <laughs> so fill us in a little bit about looking back that far and then how do you move Schaeffler forward? Well, there are a lot of parallels there. Um, the reason to go back that far was really to look at how humans innovate, how we exchange ideas and come up with things like mobility, um, automobiles, bicycles, whatever's moving us around. And that's a key thing for us in Scheffler as well, because we are such a broad company. We literally make everything from washers to windmills or major parts of windmills. And uh, so the ability to really combine those ideas and get those engineers exchanging ideas, which is one of the things we, we try to do at that symposium, um, is really key because that's when you, when you exchange ideas is when you come up with new ideas um, and then you can really move things forward. You had a fascinating graphic that showed that the, the population of human beings on planet Earth was relatively flat until maybe the 1800s, but then once you get to the 20th century, it just skyrockets up. Yeah, and, and what is it about that interaction that leads to more innovation? <clears throat> well, it's exactly that. The, the volume of ideas, um, the more of them you can put together, the better they become. Um, that's where I talked also about the example of cities. As you get greater and greater uh, population densities in cities, you can measure that the number of patents go up per citizen in the city. Um, so it, it's just a matter of, of that network effect, really, of, of getting people together, get them to talk together, get them to exchange ideas, and they inspire each other. And lo and behold, you move things forward, even usually much more than you even think you can. So what's the interaction that you're looking for now? As I mentioned at the, at the, the top of the show, Schaeffler, at least on the automotive side, been very involved in internal combustion engines, chassis systems, and the like. What are you hoping to get in, in terms of innovation that moves the company into this new world of 
electric cars, autonomous cars, and mobility services? Well, it's several things. It's, um, it's building on all those things that you said, um, and it's using um, what I also mentioned earlier, that we make everything from washers to windmills. So we have unique uh, capability to really tightly integrate things um, together in a way that a lot of other suppliers can't do because they have to go out and source a lot of those components. But we can bring all our engineers to the table and uh, come up with new ideas that fit better or work better because of that vast library of parts and processes that we have. Um, so one example of that, we're, we're just launching right now uh, what we call a hybrid module. Um, it's a perfect fit for this uh, pickup truck SUV rear-wheel drive market here. Um, but it's basically electric motor, torque converter, disconnect clutch, and damper sandwiched between engine and transmission. And we managed to be uh, about 65 millimeters shorter than any of our competitors could manage that because we make everything in there. So we got the engineers together. We said, what if we take this out? Can you put that in your part? Put it together and make it fit. So now we're rolling that into production. And then we have to look uh, at the next step, like electric axles for fully electric cars. Similar thing applies there because um, we make everything in the gearbox and the electric motors. So we're looking at not just how can I bolt these things together, but how can I really engineer them up as a system together, make a smaller, higher torque density electric axle, for example. So it's again combining all those uh, crazy inventors together until they come up with something sane. <laughs> you know, I, I look at what's happened uh, with some traditional companies. General Electric, great example, uh, pulled out of, uh, out of the fortune, uh, what is it, out of uh, the Dow. I believe it's no longer mm -hmm. considered part of the, the Dow Jones Industrials. Uh, and if you look historically uh, over the last century of, of massive innovation, uh, many companies that were once centerpieces, rock foundation of the economy, vanish. Uh, and, and part of the challenge is that you may be an extremely innovative company in one era and completely lose it in another. So what, how do you go about at a company like yours avoid following that to the, to the dustbin of the automotive industry? Yeah, that's a very good question. That's something, especially in, in my office, we think about all the time is uh, what, what can you do to avoid becoming a Harvard business case study of a <laughs> company that was successful and uh, gave up on their innovation. And so we do a number of things. Um, we uh, partner with a number of startups. Um, we've opened a Silicon Valley office to explore mm -hmm. what the startups are doing. Uh, can we offer them enabling technology? Um, maybe is there technology we might want to acquire there? Um, we do things like, uh, I don't know if you've seen our biohybrid, um, but experimental vehicles. So it's four-wheel bicycle. Um, it has both a human-powered powertrain and electric powertrain, mm -hmm. so we call it biohybrid can recover electricity. It has a little bit of weather protection, so you could even maybe use it in Detroit several months out of the year at least. Um, and it's, a, it's kind of a rolling laboratory and also allows us to play with some different business models. Um, so we've actually spun off a company to manufacture that now, mm -hmm. um, and it seems to be really catching on. So, um, But that allows us not only to see is there a new business case out there? Is there a new mobility business model that we could participate in? But also to develop the powertrain, develop the chassis, come up with new inventions there 
that maybe also show up in other vehicles, um, like uh, electric scooters, or uh, which are, are taking off in this country right now. So, As you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about a company uh, that I happen to spend a lot of time with in the last couple of months, VinFast. It's a Vietnamese car company. Mm. Uh, and their model is tremendously different. Uh, they expect to go from founding the company to production in barely two years. Uh, <laughs> but it's heavily reliant on working with suppliers, uh, ABB, Siemens Bosch, uh, mm -hmm. Magna Steyr and the like. And I'm wondering if there's a lot of startup auto companies right now, particularly in the electric space, but not entirely. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you're working with some of these, and if so, are they helping innovate, helping encourage innovation? Yeah, I think definitely they are. Um, and we are uh, working with a number of them. Um, they have the advantage whether they're correct or not, they have assumed that making an electric car makes it much simpler to make a car, which is in some ways true and in some ways not true, but it allows them to completely rethink the vehicle. Um, and that's a great chance for us then to come in and say, hey, could we offer you this piece of it? Maybe makes your vision come true. Um, so I, I think it is, uh, it's nice to have that fresh approach coming into the market. It's a tall mountain to climb. That's why I laughed at the two years. That's, a, <laughs> that's a very impressive. But it is also true that uh, the uh, OEM and supplier community are really sharing uh, R&D in a way they hadn't done before. We think of it as more of a network these days than a tier one, tier two OEM kind of relationship. So we're all coming to the table with our ideas and we are a more effective team that way, I think. So it, it does allow us to be faster. Two years, a little optimistic, but faster. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, the you mentioned the biohybrid, and you had that in Detroit at the, the auto show mm -hmm. uh, last year. Yeah. Um, and I'd asked then if the, there was any chance they were gonna be um, here. I think they said uh, in Europe you were gonna be trying them out. Is that, is that possible we'd, uh, we'd see one of those in this area? We are a little bit regulation compromised in this country because in Europe, uh, that's considered a bicycle, which is one of the big advantages of it. You can drive it in bicycle lanes. In most of the U.S. cities that we've talked to, if you have four wheels, you're considered a car. Mm. Um, so we can't do that immediately, but maybe we can make a variant of that or something that could come this way. Or maybe we decide to enter... Um, with our torque stick board, which is kind of our electric scooter um, variant, if you will, which uh, can be like a, a dockless electric scooter, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so you can turn it on with your cell phone, ride it across town. Um, they're having lots of positive and negative experiences with that kind of thing in San Francisco right now, for example. But yeah. uh, for us, again, it's, uh, it's a really interesting uh, thing to experiment with. So, for example, naturally with our powertrain background, one of the first things we did is say, let's make a different powertrain there. And we actually ended up with an integrated motor and wheel uh, and brake system. And for, steering. Uh, yeah, for a longboard. Um, oh, for a so, longboard. Oh, oh yeah. this is different oh, yeah, than the, what it, I was thinking about. It's so. kind of like what you're thinking about, but miniaturized uh, for the longboard. So, and we were able to save a kilogram of mass in a three kilogram powertrain for a longboard. So, wow. when you put automotive engineers to work on any kind of powertrain, they come up with great stuff. Torque stick sounds a lot better than scooter. I'm yeah, cool. it's a little more comfortable <laughs> to ride, but it does have the handle. Um, helps you to steer and brake and. 
So not sure exactly where we're going with that one yet, but that would make it onto U.S. Uh, sidewalks right now. So could be a possibility. Jeff, let's go back to that other uh, autonomous idea, the, the corners mm-hmm. that you talked about. So you integrate an electric motor in the hub of the wheel. It includes the brakes. It also steers. Yep. This could be revolutionary for car design. I mean, think about it. If you could put all the steering and braking uh, and the propulsion at the corners, you free up so much more interior space for vehicles. So what's the long-term vision here? Well, that's exactly it, and that it goes back to what I was saying before. Um, you have to use these new potentials to really reimagine the vehicle. So it's kind of like when we went from building buildings out of stone to building them out of steel girders. It took us a long time to stop building steel buildings that looked like stone buildings. Um, and we want to help accelerate that. And similar analogy is if you want to have a skyscraper, somebody has to first invent the elevator or you can't make it up and down all the floors. So that e-corner might be one of the elevators, we hope, because especially for a robo-taxi, you're specifically trying to minimize your footprint to take care of the urban traffic density problem and yet fit a bunch of passengers or goods or something in there. So as you said, it really frees that up. It also, it can turn around its own center. It can go sideways. Um, so the maneuverability possibilities are, are much greater there. And even we, uh, along the, uh, for that same effort, we uh, recently uh, started a joint venture with a company called Paravan, um, which was a fascinating company. I had no idea they existed in, until we acquired them. But uh, they actually make uh, the only uh, road-certified uh, steer-by-wire, brake-by-wire, throttle-by-wire systems for paraplegics hmm. to allow them to steer with a, to drive completely on normal roads with a joystick. And they have more than 300 million miles accumulated um, with the, really the service they've been providing to these people. But in the process, of course, they developed a very robust three-level safe steer-by-wire system. And that's a perfect fit with our e-corner, so we're hoping to put those together and be the elevator for the, for the uh, urban taxi of the future there. All right, so, so let me ask you this. Uh, it's, it's all well and good to come up with an elevator if there was no interest in building mm-hmm. skyscrapers. And one of the big questions that everybody continues to ask is what sort of demand will there be for the two breakthrough technologies that the industry's dropping $100-plus billion on, <laughs> electric drive and autonomy. We're seeing, certainly, uh, a surge in demand for electrics, mm-hmm. uh, but it's still only a couple percent at best. What, what sort of estimates are you getting? What are, what are you basing your spending and, and uh, strategy on? Well, we're, we're fairly aggressive on both. Um, so we have, a, we call an accelerated scenario that calls for globally uh, 30% of vehicles to be battery electrics or fuel cell electrics by uh, 2030, I think. In other words, eliminating any internal combustion drive. These yeah. are pure electric-based. Yep, which 30%. still leaves the 70% that have a combustion engine, so there's plenty of work for those engineers to do too. But, but yeah, quite aggressive forecast. And um, part of the reason for that is is also connected to um, the autonomous question, because and, and also just ride hailing or, or uh, shared vehicles in general, because if you look at the total cost of ownership for a fleet vehicle that's maybe used, uh, say, 60 or 70 percent of the time, like a taxi cab is, 
um, the, the math around electric vehicles, especially in a city, gets much easier. They're actually much cheaper because you're probably paying less for the energy um, and you're using much more of it because a typical car is used 4% of the time or something, so the energy cost is hardly a piece of the equation. But if you're a taxi cab fleet owner, it's a major part. But not only that, but um, you're recovering most of your brake energy electrically. So your brake mechanic is not going to have much to do there. Your maintenance uh, goes way down. So as autonomous and, and sharing enter the market more, we think those are natural spots for electric vehicles, and that'll drive up that percentage. Now, I think especially in this country, but, but all around the world, it's going to be a toss salad for a number of years. We're really going to have everything from more or less what we would consider conventional combustion vehicles to hybrids to electric vehicles. And I think uh, we are figuring out a way to make a transportation solution that's practical for every situation. Um, so that's resulting in a, in a lot more different solutions. So got to figure out how to get ready for all of them. Do you think um, in, this, in this new world we're heading toward, do you think that uh, brand matters? Well, I would certainly like to think so. Um, certainly it matters with our, our partners today. Um, there's a lot of argument, uh, the more you automate and ride share, are you really buying because you are buying a brand you feel passionate about, or are you, are you buying the brand of the delivery service that's going to take you uh, where you want to go? But I, I think brand will, will always mean something um, because it's, it's kind of how we... Uh, figure out how to relate to each other, whether it's a B2B brand or a, a B2C brand. Um, so I, th I think it'll, it'll always be uh, important to some degree. But getting back to my earlier question about these emerging companies, we heard Dyson mm -hmm. now getting ready to get into the auto industry. Mm -hmm. It is a big brand. And a you, vacuum cleaner brand. A vacuum cleaner brand, which, of course, knows a lot about motors and batteries, mm -hmm. since a lot of their products do run on yeah. batteries. Uh, Apple. It appears almost certain now. They just we just uncovered a patent which apparently will allow them to literally connect a series of vehicles to share energy as they go down yeah. the road. Uh, so the question is, what brands are are we going to be dealing with the traditional brands uh, or totally new brands, or is it going to be a mixture of both? You obviously have to be trying to figure out who you want to do business yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, certainly, there are going to be some new players. I mean, there already are. You could consider Tesla a new player, for mm -hmm. example. Um, so, And certainly, they're coming with different business models, um, which I think is good for the industry. Um, but it's hard to say. Uh, it's hard to see. Uh, as I said, we're going to have a tossed salad. So I think there's room in there for a lot of different uh, brands, at least for the next decade or so to sustain themselves. Jeff, I see uh, going uh, back into just electric cars for the moment that Schaeffler is involved in Formula E, which mm -hmm. is a new, relatively new racing series all on electric cars. As CTO, are you involved in that? I mean, I know Jaguar is also involved and they've talked about how what they're learning on the track, they can relate back to their production electric cars. Mm -hmm. Do you see that happening and are, are you involved in that? It's, um, I'm involved a little bit. It's, uh, it's mostly run out of our headquarters in Germany, of course. Um, 
But we have learned a tremendous amount from that. In fact, um, one of the suppliers we had partnered with to help with our powertrain, uh, we ended up acquiring them, and they are now helping us design traction motors for automotive use. So it's been very helpful, not only in, in just powertrain design, but even what do you do with an electric vehicle? Like uh, in the second season, uh, they allowed us to have our own gearbox. So then comes a whole fascinating line of questions. Do you want two speeds, three speeds, one speed? When are you going to shift? Um, do you do a torque interrupted shift or, or do you need to have a power shift? And so there's a, just a lot to learn about the whole electrification question. What do people want from electric? It used to be we, we thought it was they would be very comfortable with sluggish performance, just get me from here to there. Mm -hmm. Now I think it's changing very dramatically. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we're, we're seeing uh, not only in the market, but in a lot of the projects we're involved in, um, it's not an a, a eco-mobility play. It's a performance play. It's, um, yeah. It offers so many benefits there. It's, uh, I'm sure you guys have driven them there just a super amount of fun and uh, give you a great amount of flexibility. And so you, it's, it's still a bit expensive, but it's getting more and more affordable, especially as a hybrid. And, and yeah, I think uh, certainly in this market, the, a big part of the play is gonna be performance. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, uh, you know, you look at ludicrous mode that yeah. you use in certain of the, the Teslas, it, it's blisteringly fast. And to Paul's point, you know, you go back uh, pre-Tesla, and electrics were slow, clunky cars. The perception is totally different. People, Very much changed. People forget, a year ago, when Fiat Chrysler was out there bragging about just how fast the Demon was, they were rated at 2.3 seconds, 0 to 60. Guess what? So was a Tesla Model S P100D in ludicrous mode. It was as fast yeah. as a Dodge Demon. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, People are still emotional creatures, so the things that we want to work to own or, or participate in, they have to appeal to us on some passionate level, and uh, I think we're seeing that in the market, certainly with things like ludicrous mode and where we're headed with electrification, at least in the short term. Do you think it's familiarity that's, that's going to be key for electrification once people are more comfortable? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that'll be interesting to see as we're getting more and more of the of the uh, uh, car park to be electric vehicles, and you're starting to really see charging stations around you. And then, do people really start to just think that's a normal thing, and I should look at that for my next car? Or how fast does that domino fall? Uh, it'll be interesting. But yeah, I think that's a butts and seats. Yeah, exactly. We're coming off of the early adopter phase, and we've got to jump that chasm onto the mass market. Um, so it's going to be interesting. But I think the exposure helps a lot. Wouldn't that be the same for autonomous cars, too? Is Certainly, that People yeah. just need to be more exposed to it, understand the technology. You know, it almost seems to me that suppliers like Schaeffler are in a much better position than the car companies. Because you guys are going to sell parts to the car companies that you can make money on. They've got to price these cars to sell, whether they make money on them or not. Yeah. And it, it seems to me that you might be in a much better position than uh, the autom your customers are. Well, I'd like to think so. But <laughs> at the end of the day, the entire supply chain has to add up into something that people can afford to and want to buy. Um, so we're certainly 
part of that equation. Um, so it's uh, some days a little painful how the money in that chain gets spread around, but uh, but yeah, I think we'll we'll arrive at uh, at solutions that make uh, business sense to everybody that uh, people feel passionate about and are willing to pay for and and that we can all uh, keep our companies going on, I think. So when the Chevy Volt with a V came out, the batteries in the pack cost about $1,000 a kilowatt hour, give or take. The Chevy Bolt with a B dropped to about 150. But what about the rest of the electric, uh, what about the rest of the electric drivetrain? What are we seeing in that area in terms of cost uh, decline? Yeah, that's still a that's still an issue. Um, uh, mostly power electronics, I guess. Um, electric machines are um, not totally unaffordable, I guess. But uh, power electronics, there's some distance to go, and it's a it's a little bit different equation there than it is uh, with a battery because you have to carry a certain amount of current. Um, you need a certain amount of uh, silicon or silicon carbide to do that. Um, but they're, we're seeing them head in the right direction. Um, part of the issue there is also the multiple ways that you have to be able to charge. Um, so part of the power electronics you're carrying on your electric car are to take the AC from your wall and make it into DC so it can go into your battery and then get turned back into some kind of AC to go into your motor. So maybe eventually we get through some of those things where we're really for example, everything is a DC charger, then you can just put a big red X on a part of the car that you're buying today. But that'll take a little time to get enough adopters that we can settle on standards like that. We're getting down to the very end here. Are, are you guys getting involved in autonomous vehicle technology or just components like the, the, the corner that we talked about before? Uh, also technology um, in a variety of ways. I mean, I would say our, the bulk of our effort is, is on that uh, corner right now and, and wireless steering in particular for autonomous vehicles. But we have built uh, complete rolling chassis like that where we're doing the whole car. And, and the reason we do that is, like I said before, to be a rolling laboratory so that we are experiencing directly the problems our inventions are creating or maybe solving and uh, therefore we can iterate them faster, so. Real good, with that, I'm afraid we're gonna have to wrap this up. Very fascinating discussion. Jeff Hempel, the Chief Technology Officer of Schaeffler, thanks so much for coming on the show. No, thanks so much for having me. Eric Lawrence with the Detroit Free Press and Paul Eisenstein with the DetroitBureau.com. Great to have you guys here too. Great show, thanks a lot. And thank all of you for having tuned in. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles.